Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are, The Inner Life for a Wednesday. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Have you ever had one of those teachers that really inspired you in a subject in school? You weren't all that enthusiastic about whatever the topic was, but the teacher, they brought that subject, that area of study to life, and you changed your mind. It was no longer this dull or boring class. That area, that subject, it was now filled with potential. I had a history teacher, this was in the eighth grade, Mr. Schmidt, and he taught U.S. history. And the class, it began at the front of the year with pre-colonial America, and then it progressed through the year all the way up until the Civil War. That was the final unit. And one of the final things that Mr. Schmidt did as a teaching moment in that class was to show us, it was over the course of two days, a fairly recent movie that had come out about the Civil War, uh, this film, it was called Glory. And it told the story of one of the Union Army's very first African-American regiments. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a very, very well done story. Um, and uh, Matthew Broderick, he stars as the main uh, person. I mean, it's an ensemble cast, but he is Colonel Robert Gould Shaw, the commanding officer. And in this movie, he and his second in command, there are two white men that are leading this troop of black men, the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment. And there's this massive cultural division at the beginning of their time together. Colonel Shaw, he has these worries that he's not the right man to lead this regiment. But the longer that he's in command, the more that he gets to know these men, he starts to realize that if he hopes to lead his men well, he can't simply just tell them what to do. He can't just give orders. He has to lead by example. And there's this great scene in the movie where it's announced that all the black soldiers, they will not be paid the same army wage as the white soldiers. I think they get maybe two-thirds the pay, something like that. And when this is announced... This eventually leads to the black soldiers, rightly so, protesting and tearing up their pay vouchers. And after a few moments of this kind of chaotic demonstration that's happening, they're out in the open. Colonel Shaw, he fires his pistol up into the air to gain the attention of the men to try and reestablish order. And then he addresses the men and he says this, he says, if you men will take no pay, then none of us will. And the colonel, he holds up his pay voucher, and in front of all of them, he tears his in half as well. And this is this pivotal moment where these men, they start to trust that their leader, he's actually on their side. He wants the best for them. 
In some of the other scenes in the film, Colonel Shaw, you see him having to be persistent against prejudice, against racism, trying to get proper gear, proper clothing for his troops. He finds himself in this situation where he's not only fighting as part of the Union Army, fighting against the South, but now he's also involved in this infighting, fighting within the Union Army against other Union officers who'd like to either ignore or hold back the 54th Regiment from being treated as equals in the Army, from being able to do all that they can do, living up to their potential. So near the end of the film, the soldiers, they've seen enough of the actions of Colonel Shaw, these actions taken on their behalf. They're no longer skeptical about his leadership. Rather, they now trust him. They're inspired by his leadership. Yeah, he might be the one giving the orders as the colonel, but he's also given of himself for the good of his men. And that kind of leadership, leading by example, serving those you need, caring about what they need, it inspires far more from followers than any other kind of leadership. Now, of course, when it comes to the very best examples of servant leaders, we're so fortunate as Christians, as Catholics, we don't need to look any further than Jesus or his mother, our blessed mother Mary. The two of them, they show how to inspire others through serving and caring for those around them. And we want to look at their lives and how we can also follow their example. That's what we want to talk about today on The Inner Life, servant leadership. And joining us for the hour as our spiritual director, Father Dave Heaney is back with us. He is a priest uh, in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. He's the pastor of St. Bruno's Catholic Church in Whittier, California. And his latest book actually deals with what we're going to be talking about today. It's called Luke 10 Leadership, How to Succeed in Parish Ministry. And that's available through Ave Maria Press. Father Dave, welcome back to the program. Glad to be able to talk with you today. Thank you. Looking forward to this great topic today. Thank you. And so let's start with, uh, you know, where all things start for us as Christians, as followers of Christ. Let's start with Jesus. As we talk about servant leadership, I think the most obvious moment where Jesus takes on that role that we see him as a servant with his apostles, it's that scene that we commemorate every year on Holy Thursday. Jesus washes the feet of Peter and the others. Peter ends up getting into this argument with Jesus, saying, no, you'll never wash my feet. I don't want you to do something so menial. Jesus corrects Peter, says this is truly important. He, t- he tells Peter, unless I, unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. So we've got this scene here where Jesus takes on this servant role. What stands out to you the most in this encounter between Jesus and Peter? Well, you know, one thing is that I actually reenact this every year on Holy Thursday. <clears throat> so it's very, very meaningful to me because not only do I proclaim this gospel, but I actually do this gospel. But let me just begin by saying I just really loved your opening uh, remarks uh, about the, the movie Glory. I'm a Civil War buff, and I watched that mm-hmm. movie when it first came out. And it was really, it's a, it's a magnificent story. But I think, you know, the, the little vignette that you described is beautiful but what makes it even more meaningful to me is that it actually happened. It's true. Right, right. True story. You know, it's not just a screenwriter's, you know, idea of a, of a beautiful plot device. It really happened. 
And that that really is just remarkable. And I think that's what we we can begin with the story of the last of the last supper and the washing of the feet as well. This is not just a parable of Jesus says that, you know, a, a wise farmer does this. This is this actually happened. And it was so meaningful that the disciples really uh, portrayed this in the gospels later on because it was so uh, impactful to them. So we have this person of Jesus who, during his entire ministry, is trying to do, you know, kind of one main thing with the disciples, and that's teach them to be servant leaders. And he's always fighting against their their desire to be bosses, <laughs> to be yeah. chiefs, to be, uh, you know, uh, little potentates. Right. Let, let me and my arguing. brother sit at your right and your left hand. Right, or right. Yeah, sure. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? I mean, they're kind of jockle, jockle, uh, jostling amongst each other, jockeying for better positions. Who's in charge? Uh, and, you know, Jesus is always trying to tell them, you know, look, be like a child. He puts a child in front of them. And and then this really remarkable moment, you know, I mean, the night before, the night of his arrest and the night before he dies. This is a very moment, very meaningful moment. You know, what someone does when they know that their life is coming to an end, you want to pay attention to that. Because this this Jesus is going to put really kind of the summary of his entire message of salvation in his final actions and in his final words. So obviously we have the Mass, you know, the, uh, the Last Supper. Uh, but, you know, connected to that Mass is this remarkable event of washing the feet. Now, you know, my other hobby is archaeology, and there's been a lot of archaeological evidence about uh, discovery about how people dined in those days and what were the, the banquet uh, kind of rules of etiquette. And there was an assigned person uh, who was assigned to do that. And they, a lot of scholars think that that was Peter. It was Peter who was assigned to wash the disciples' feet, and he wasn't doing it because he felt it was demeaning. And so mm. what happens is Jesus gets up and shows them you know, that, you know, just do what needs to be done. And if I can just pause for a minute, you told a story about glory, but, you know, I was thinking one of the most meaningful things that happened to me when I was younger in the seminary days, my summer job, unfortunately, was doing just really hard manual labor in a lumberyard. So, you know, during the school year, I'm highfalutin theology, and then in the summer, I'm doing manual labor in a, labor, in a lumberyard. And I would arrive early in the morning and I would walk across the street to have breakfast at a little fast food place. And it was just opening up. And I was always impressed at the manager. You know, you had the employees who were making food and taking orders. But then I would notice the manager and he was sweeping the floor and wiping the counter and doing all these kind of menial, menial tasks. And I got to tell you, I mean, it was inspiring to me to see this guy hustling. And he was the manager of the place. Well, years later, it turns out I go back to my hometown as pastor and I run into this guy because he converted. He became a Catholic and he was in the parish and I recognized him and I told and I was delighted to be able to tell him that story that his, you know, uh, just doing what needs to be done and not standing on his title, not saying I'm the manager, I don't sweep the floor, uh, but just doing what needs to be done, I think was probably inspiring to his employees certainly inspiring to me. And I think the disciples learned their lesson well when they saw Jesus uh, do what normally the servants would do. He just does what needs to be done, doesn't stand on circumstance, doesn't stand on his title, doesn't claim a higher status. 
He, he says, this is what needs to be done, and I am willing to do it. And I think in any organization, if you see a leader that does that, or even parents in a family, uh, you'll, be, you'll be inspired. You know, I also like how when Peter starts to argue with Jesus, yeah. that Jesus, he listens to Peter, he lets Peter say what he says, and then gently but directly, he corrects him where he's mistaken. You know, Jesus doesn't berate Peter over this, but just merely kind of gets him back to where he needs to be, gets him back on track. And I think that's another important moment here that we see in that servant leadership of Jesus. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the sign of a good leader is that the leader knows his people well. And I think by this time, Jesus had come to know Peter well <laughs> and kind of probably even anticipated the kind of reaction, the kind of petulant tantrum that he throws, the kind of impulsive uh, remarks that he might make. Jesus kind of anticipates or he, he, he knows who this person of Peter is and anticipates it and lets him vent. Uh, but then, you know, really in that mark of a good leader, he shows Peter that he cares for him and that he knows him and that he just, uh, he doesn't, you know, yell at him or shout at him or reprimand him. He just simply says, this is the way it is, Peter, get on board. And yeah. Peter does. So, it's, yeah, it's because again, again, just like you said, leadership is a relationship and it's a relationship where people recognize that you have their best interests at heart and people respond to that. So then after Jesus washes their feet, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying, you know, um, that nothing is above you, you know, if something mm -hmm. needs to be done. But Jesus, he, he says to the disciples, number one, he asks them, do you realize what I've done? But then he says, if I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you a model to follow so that as I have done for you, you should also do. And then he says, no slave is greater than his master, nor any messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so this not only, I think, ties back to what you were saying about, you know, we're not above doing something, even if it seems menial, but that Jesus, he acknowledges, he says, no, I, I have not given up or stepped, uh, you know, outside of that role as leader. He confirms, I'm still your master and your teacher. And if by extension through the disciples, if Jesus has given this example to them and through them to all of us, I guess I see it as another important theme here. It's that we know who we are and where we are. And by that, I mean, you know, you're still a follower of certain people, but then for others, you're likely a leader. And so you're not necessarily above those who are leading you, but you have a responsibility to lead those who are under your guidance and your care. So it's important to know who you are yeah. and where you fit in, in the grand scheme of things. You know, that's an interesting idea. I, I, we just had our school mass this morning. It's our last school mass of the, of the year. And the, today's gospel talks about blessed are those teachers who teach others the commandments. They will be called greatest in the kingdom of God. And I thought that was a perfect uh, gospel for a school mass because it talks about teachers. And I pointed out our wonderful teachers that we have in our school, and they are really spectacular. But then I said, you know, how many of you have a younger brother or sister? And they all raised their hand. And I said, well, you're a teacher. You have influence over them. How many of you have an older sister or brother? You can influence them as well. 
So really, all of us are teachers in some way, not as a higher status title, not as a title, but as an activity, an activity of influencing, of guiding, of helping, of leading. Uh, so again, probably the way to look at it is not so much to look at the title, but the activity. The activity is one done out of love. We teach other people, we influence them, we guide them, we lead them, because we believe that where we are leading them is good for them. And I think people have a sense, they can tell quite quickly if we have their best interests at heart or not. Yeah. Um, you know, if the boss says, I want you all to work 100% now, 150%, because I want to make that quota, because then I will get promoted. <laughs> well, the employees, you know, that, that doesn't help. That's not a really... Yeah, why, why do I care? Leader. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that's the boss is using his employees to feather his own nest. Uh, but uh, people can tell if you have your best, if they have, if you have their best interests at heart. So you, you really have to honestly believe that. You have to authentically have their best interests at heart. It will come through naturally. People will sense it and you will be surprised at... Uh, the, the number of followers that, that you will have. Because that's the definition of a leader. A leader is someone who has followers. And people will follow someone who has their best interests at heart. Well, and along with those best interests, one of the other things that Jesus says there after washing the disciples' feet, he says, you know, those words, as I have done for you, you mm -hmm. should also do. And so it, it's... It's Jesus empowering the disciples and, again, by extension, all of us, empowering us to go out and lead others by caring and serving them. You know, you don't simply do the work yourself. You don't. And, and that, you know, as you're talking about inspiring people, you don't just create a bunch of worker bees, a bunch of drones who simply do what they're told because you mm -hmm. give orders. You know, that true that true leader not only inspires those who he or she is leading, but that, that empowering, giving over that control so the followers can actually take more ownership of their own work. They have a share in what's happening. Well, I mean, that's the golden. I mean, if you can achieve that, then you are in, in the, that, that's golden. You know, if everybody believes in the mission of the organization, if everybody really is on board, if they're excited to come to work, you know, that's golden. It, it's, it's rare. You know, it, uh, it's, uh, it's, doesn't happen in every place. You know, many people are, don't like where they work. They don't like their boss. They don't like what's going on. Sometimes you have that in parishes as well. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, this unbelievably important and very little utilized chapter 10 in the Gospel of Luke is just so amazingly powerful. And this is where Jesus himself trains his disciples with very clear and practical steps, the kind of leader he wants them to be. Um, and it and it echoes all the things that we've talked about before, you know, uh, Colonel Shaw in the movie Glory, the manager that I saw in the fast food place, um, you know, Jesus' example at the Last Supper, you know, just creating this relationship of love and and leading someone to a better place. Uh, if if we uh, if we just kind of keep these examples in mind more off more often and and let all of our parish leaders and and these are. No, and these are really valuable lessons for parents as well, because parents are leaders in a family. And how they guide their children, uh, or even how they guide each other, all these lessons uh, Jesus has given us 
throughout the Gospels, but especially in that uh, 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Well, and I'm glad you brought up parents, too, because that was such a natural for me as I was thinking about this. You know, some of the the key aspects of servant leadership, even if a parent doesn't realize that they are being a servant leader, I don't think you can help it. If, If you are making any sort of effort, any attempt to help your child grow to be a, uh, you know, a productive member of society, to, you know, grow not only intellectually, but socially and spiritually, you're going to be walking alongside them, helping Mm -hmm. them and serving them while you're trying to inspire them to grow and to do bigger and better things. And of course, the the great challenge for parents is dealing with children of multiple ages. You know, if you have a family with, you know, an older teenager, younger teenager, you know, um, elementary school kid or toddler, how you lead each one is going to be amazingly different. And then there's the personalities un- on top of that too, Father. <laughs> <And> personalities <laughs> on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the the more children I have, the more expert I think parents have to be in, in kind of, uh, you know, juggling all these different ages. But the younger the child is, of course, it's more just kind of direct commands, you know, get out of the street, <laughs> get in the car, um, you know, eat your vegetables, that kind of thing. And the older they get, now that they're, I mean, basically you're kind of matching their brain. As their brain becomes more rational and reasonable and logical, then you use ration and reason and logic to uh, to deal with them. You kind of bring them on board with the goal. Like, why do we have this rule about staying out of the street? Why do we have this rule about homework? Why do we have this rule about, you know, bad language in the house? Uh, and um, so the older they are, the more that you can kind of connect with them on this uh, common mission for how you would like things to be in your home. Uh, But again, what comes across more than anything else is, does my mom or my dad have my best interests at heart? Are they saying this out of love or or just a desire to rule? And one of the things that's really important is to to make sure that anger uh, is not introduced. That, uh, because once anger and emotion are introduced in guiding, it muddies the waters. The message is completely lost. It's subsumed into the reaction to emotionalism. Uh, so that's just something very important for parents to recognize that uh, uh, if they if they feel themselves welling up with anger or emotions, don't say anything. Just kind of wait for that to dis- to subside, because uh, you don't want any kind of discipline or guidance for children to be accompanied by negative emotions. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, it it does. Easier said than done. Um, You know, I mean, especially in the heat of the moment there. I think think probably anybody who's been a parent of a teenager, my sister has said for years, um, uh, her kids are all grown and out of the house, but she's said, oh, all kids, you know, they become aliens. Uh, You know, they're like they're from a different planet for a few years, you know, in those teen years. It it might be only a couple of years. It might be a a good number of years, but they eventually become human again. But, um, yeah, there's just those those times where you it doesn't matter how rational or logical you might try and be with your kids. And you do. You have to be patient. And sometimes it can be a real challenge to not lose your cool to try and maintain that calmness in those moments. But, uh, Father Dave, uh, we need to take a quick break here. Again, speaking with Father Dave Heaney, 
And he is the pastor of St. Bruno's Catholic Church in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Uh, our studio line, if you'd like to call in and speak with Father Dave, 888-914-9149. Talking about servant leadership today. And when have you been able to inspire others through being that servant for them? Or maybe having that servant attitude, is that difficult for you? and you have some questions, you'd like some advice on how you can grow in this area, again, you can call us, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. More to come right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today, we'd like to thank Enrico, who's listening in Nevada, for donating his Mercedes-Benz. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating your old vehicle by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. I like that one, Nick. That's a cool groove. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond. Uh, Nick is my producer, Nick Sentovich, and want to say thank you to him, as well as Thomas N. Gesser for their help in producing the program today. And thank you for listening and joining us here as we're talking about servant leadership. And maybe you have a question about servant leadership. Uh, maybe you've had that opportunity in your life to serve others and help in leading them, help show them how they can help others, inspire them to carry on the work of Christ. Maybe it's just even been in the workplace where helping and serving and caring for others, you've been able to have that kind of inspirational role there for others. When has that happened in your life? You can call in and share your story, or you can ask a question with Father Dave Heaney, our spiritual director, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. want to again mention his book, Luke 10 Leadership, because that also ties in with a lot of the themes that we're talking about here. So uh, obviously we have limited time during just a single hour of the inner life. If you'd like to read more, you can get that book, Luke 10 Leadership, How to Succeed in Parish Ministry. That's available from Ave Maria Press. Uh, Father Dave, you made a reference to that chapter uh, 10 in Luke's Gospel, St. Luke's Gospel. And this is another one of those areas where we see Jesus empowering others. We talked about that right before the break, empowering others to do whatever the work is. In this case, it's evangelizing, preaching, healing, all of that. Can you kind of set the stage for us as to what is really happening here, this scene in Scripture, in the tenth chapter of Saint Luke's Gospel, Jesus he he uh, he sent out his twelve disciples in Luke chapter nine, and it doesn't go very well. So in chapter ten, it begins by saying Jesus sends out a further seventy-two disciples, a large crowd, but he sends them directly into hostile pagan territory. Imagine that. I'm sure the disciples would have said, "Excuse me, do you know where you're sending us?" But he doesn't send them without any kind of training. And he says, I'm sending you out into a difficult area. I'm, I'm sending you out into, peop- into areas where people don't like you. They don't like Jews. So he sends them out and he says, here's what you do. When you walk into a town, first say peace. Be proactive. Don't wait to be welcomed because you won't be welcomed. So you make the first move. People can't read your mind. And so they will look at your face, they will look at your behavior, they will look at your demeanor. So you want to be the first one to 
you know, show that you mean no harm, that you come in peace. That's very powerful. And there's no guarantee that this going to be that your visit will be successful. But nothing will happen unless you first be the first one to smile, the first one to greet people, the first one to uh, show that you mean no harm. The second one is really important, and Jesus shows he he does this all the time, especially with Peter at the Last Supper. Jesus says, eat what they set before you. Now, that does not mean be a good table man or guest. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, eat all your vegetables. Eat what they set before you is kind of a metaphor for finding out what feeds them, what nourishes them. What are the ideas and the ethos and the ethics that make these people tick? Find out what makes them tick. You know, when Jesus talked to Peter at the Last Supper, he knew Peter. He had come to know what makes Peter tick. So he, he could anticipate the kind of things that Peter would say. So Jesus was always ready for Peter whenever he would, you know, do any of this kind of sometimes remarkable behavior. So first say peace and then eat what they set before you. Find out about these people. Find out what makes them tick. If you a Republican, find out about Democrats. If you're a Democrat, find out about Republicans. Conservative, liberal, uh, the first thing that has to happen is you have to really find out why does this person believe what they believe. And then the next one he says is cure the sick. And that doesn't mean do a miracle. It just means do something helpful. You know, doctors cure sick people, not by miracles, but just by science. So show that you are helpful, that you are on their side. And then only the last thing Jesus says is to convert, to, you know, make a change in your life. And we do so courageously and boldly and uh, without apology. But, the only, but that last step to follow Christ only comes after the first three, which are you establishing a relationship of care, that you care about this person, you've taken the time to know them, uh, you are helpful. So all of those steps uh, Jesus feels is the only way that you can deal with someone who's antagonistic, which is where Jesus is precisely sending his disciples to. The most beautiful part of the whole chapter, though, is at the end. Uh, They come back. All these 72 people come back, and they are amazingly successful. Everything just goes perfectly well. And then Jesus says this incredible line. He says, Jesus rejoiced when he heard this news. And then he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. What an amazing event. Jesus is saying, because of what these 72 people did out in this hostile territory, Satan was defeated. Satan fell like Satan from the sky, fell like lightning from the sky. And by the acts of former fishermen, of ordinary people. So this is an extremely powerful uh, leadership lesson that Jesus gives his disciples that can apply to people in parish ministry, uh, parents, certainly uh, company leaders, anyone who has any kind of, you know, impact on another person. First say peace, eat what they set before you, show that you are helpful, and then lead them to a new and better place. And, you know, this system was followed. I mean, that, that kind of pagan countryside that uh, the disciples went to, really in just a few generations later, the entire Roman Empire became Christian. 
So the, the success of the early church was really quite remarkable considering the environment it lived in. So we should never say, oh my God, society is terrible today, it's too secular, it's too this or that. We don't have any right to say that compared to the early church in the Roman Empire. They followed the example of Jesus, his guidance, and they converted the mighty, cruel Roman Empire. If they did that, then uh, what we are facing today is, is nothing compared to that. We should uh, um, feel confident and, and, and be glad at, the, at the, the kind of wisdom and leadership that Jesus shows us all in those beautiful chapters of uh, the Gospel of Luke. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you were talking about Jesus celebrating when the 72 disciples return mm. back, he also, after he does this, he, he says, yes, let me celebrate with you. Um, right after he says what you were talking about, I've observed Satan fall like lightning. He says, behold, I've given you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and upon the full force of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. And so he gives this affirmation right after that. But then he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's almost like he's saying, hey, great, let's take a moment here and celebrate. But don't lose sight of the end goal here. Don't get so caught up in this moment that you forget what the long game is all about. Yeah, and don't let, don't let the victory go to your head. Don't get a big head out of this. Yep. Don't get a swelled yep. head. Exactly. Because that is always under the surface of the disciples. I mean, it doesn't take much for them for it to go to their head. It doesn't <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> take much for them to take credit for everything, <laughs> you know. So uh, Jesus is constantly battling with that. Um, and, uh, you know, look, I mean, eventually this, you know, with Pentecost, this, you know, what we just celebrated, I mean, that was, that, that was the moment when, the, when it finally happened for the disciples and they were, uh, and they went out and... Um, remembered these lessons from Luke 10 and and did them in the right spirit, in the right, you know, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what helped them to be so successful. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's also talk about uh, the life of Mary, um, some examples yeah. that we see from her as well, and maybe some things we can gain um, out of her life that we can apply in our own. When we look at Mary, there's two main scenes that I think of where Mary is wanting to help serve others. The first very obvious one is when she goes to visit Elizabeth. She hears that right. her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And not only does she leave to go and help Elizabeth, but the scripture says that she leaves in haste. That's the word that's used there. And I think that word is so key because for me, even at those times where I know I should be helping somebody else, I might be dragging my feet. I'm not rushing. I'm not jumping right in, moving in haste to try and, you know, get into that work of serving others. How do you think we can uh, cultivate that same sort of attitude of responding immediately, just like Mary? Well, I think what, what energizes any type of activity like that is love. If you really care about the authentic good of another person, you won't delay because you deeply desire their good. So there's no reason to delay. Why would you, if, if you really want what's good for this other person, it would never even occur to you to wait because you love them and you want them to be happy and you want them to be happy with the right things that only God can provide. So 
I think, you know, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. That means she was filled with love. So she immediately wants to go see Elizabeth. And I think another thing, too, is that, remember, Mary's opening line, the first time she speaks, is a question. How can this mm-hmm. be? Right? Beautiful. So she on, at that moment, she honors everyone who's ever had a question about our faith. If you've ever had a question about anything, you are in good company with Mary, who questioned the angel. She needed to know. And God respects her intelligence. God respects her question. And uh, so Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, explains things. Maybe in the same way, Mary, you know, having heard from Gabriel that Elizabeth is also with child, Mary, having that kind of an inquisitive mind, wants to go and see for herself and, uh, and goes in haste because she loves Elizabeth. She also knows that Elizabeth is an elderly woman. So if this woman, if this elderly woman is with child, she needs help. And because Mary loves her, she, she goes in haste to, you know, she's young, Mary is young and healthy. She's going to be fine. Elizabeth is elderly. She needs to go there and be with her and, and stays with her until, the, until John is born. So it's a beautiful story of Mary not being focused on herself, but wanting the authentic good for Elizabeth, not waiting any, not delaying, not waiting any time, just heading right over to take care of her, her cousin. Yeah. You, you know, as you, as you mentioned that, you know, if I genuinely love someone, am I going to have any hesitation? I think that can be a real check for us on our own pride. I, at least that's, that's where I'm at with it is, uh, you know, this could be a real question of, do I, do I need to pray for more humility here? Because if I'm dragging my feet on whatever I'm supposed to do, whether it's for God or for my fellow person, you know, I should be asking myself then, is it that I, I love God like I'm claiming I do? Do I love God more or do I love myself more? Do I love my neighbor more or do I love myself more? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. And, you know, sometimes there's an automatic thought that we have that we have to kind of do a manual override. And so it's, it's not like an, it doesn't happen instantly that we, you know, do things out of love. If I'm working in my office and I'm really kind of really involved in some email or some uh, article or something or other, <clears throat> and I get a call from the receptionist saying that there's a walk-in. Somebody has just come in and wants to talk to a priest. So I think my first reaction is going to be, you know, annoyance or irritation or I'm being interrupted. But what I do is I use the process of walking down the hallway as a process. I start out being annoyed and irritated. And I go, okay, I got 30 feet (laughs) down this hallway to change. When I get to the end of that hallway, I have to say, this is the vocation that God called me to. It's a vocation of love. You know, get that love in your heart. doesn't happen the instant I get the call, but I have a 30-foot or 20-foot hallway to walk down. So I use that as kind of a time to kind of get my head right, if you will. So I don't think anybody has to be embarrassed or worried that if their first thought is maybe selfish or their first thought is only about themselves, that's just a kind of a habit. And if we just say, okay, that's my first thought. I don't want it to be my last thought. So let me just kind of work this through. And then eventually just maybe just takes 10 or 15 seconds to kind of move towards uh, a place of love. So that by the time I do greet this person, it's a whole different ballgame. 
And I would imagine that Mary, when she's receiving this news from Gabriel, she has yeah. a lot of thoughts about herself, and they're mixed with those thoughts about her cousin. And she, yeah. she, you know, wants to go help her cousin, but she's still probably, even on that journey, that long hallway that she's traveling from Nazareth out to the hill country, there's a lot of thoughts that she's kind of processing and going through and thinking about uh, on that yeah. journey there. Well said. I think that's right. Uh, and, and I think just we don't have to be embarrassed or worried about the first thoughts that come into our mind. Uh, into our mind. It's only the thoughts that happen when we're actually acting, when we're actually behaving. And, um, and if it takes a few minutes or whatever, or the distance from uh, uh, Nazareth to uh, the Jerusalem area where Elizabeth was, so be it. As long as we arrive at that right <laughs> As long as we get there eventually, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Father Dave Heaney is our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life, and we're talking about servant leadership. And when have you been that servant for others, been able to inspire them through that attitude of care, getting to know them, helping them, some of those things that Father Dave has been talking about, and how has that helped you to be a, a more effective leader? Or maybe you have a difficult time having that servant type of attitude when you are trying to lead others and you'd like some advice on how you might be able to incorporate that more into your life, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'll continue looking at the life of our Blessed Mother and talking about some of these practical applications coming up next here on The Inner Life. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. This is The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Today we're talking about servant leadership. Maybe that's a very difficult thing for you. I don't think it comes easy or natural to most of us. Uh, but we're looking at the example of our Lord Jesus and his mother, our Blessed Mother Mary, and the way that they led by example, that they served others, they helped others, and ways that we can apply some of those lessons in our lives, that we can serve others, and by that, help in those moments where we can lead, where we can inspire, where we can encourage. And our spiritual director for the hour is Father Dave Heaney, and if you'd like to call in with your question or maybe a story about a time where you were able to have that moment to help someone and through your help, through your care, through your service to them, you were able to kind of inspire and lead them the number to call into the studio, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Father Dave, we were looking at uh, where Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, both of them pregnant, and uh, this is in St. Luke's Gospel as well. Uh, such a central part of this scene of the visitation between mm -hmm. Mary and Elizabeth is both of them acknowledging the goodness of God. You know, they're both in this, these, their individual situations, and both of them would have thought this impossible, right? And even the, the, the angel, the archangel Gabriel, acknowledges this. 
by saying nothing will be impossible with God. But you have one woman who's too old to have children, and yet she's pregnant. The other is a virgin, and yet she's pregnant. And both of them, I'm sure there is this vast array of all kinds of worries about the future. You know, for a woman who's too old to have children, is is my life in danger? You know, am I going to be around long enough to help raise this child? You know, what happens with, you know, all these different possibilities. And then, of course, there's all the worries that a young, unwed w- woman would have in that that culture, that society, being found pregnant, um, you know, and we even see that kind of encountered with Joseph and the things he wrestles with that we see in Matthew's gospel. So even with all of these different possible worries in the future, neither of them dwell on that. They simply are joyful to be with each other and joyful to trust in God. And that trust, that's such a, that's such a difficult thing with all those worries on the horizon. What made that trust possible was both of them had this powerful experience that their pregnancy was remarkable. It was miraculous, really. So that's the first thing that happens. You know, there was so their trust is a response to the miracle that each of them received. Elizabeth understands that as an elderly woman, she's about to have a child. That's remarkable. She knows that she's in on something big and that this is that this big thing is of God. So she's she's responding to that miracle. And of course, Mary is, uh, you know, recognized that, that she is pregnant without Joseph. So both of them are recipients of, of a remarkable intervention from God, a remarkable actions on, on God's part in their life. And so that's what gives them their response is one of trust. You know, if, dear God, if, if you are having me have a child without Joseph, and dear God, if you are having me have a child in my older age, then you are actively, deeply involved in my life for some really, really big purpose. And so I trust in you. And I think they both have that sense of trust because of the remarkable uh, things that God has done in their life. And that's the whole essence of the Magnificat. You know, you, this, every, every phrase of the Magnificat is, this, is Mary's referencing through famous scripture verses but all saying the same thing, that you have done mighty things in me. Um, And I can't explain why. I don't know why you chose me. I don't know why you chose Elizabeth, but you did. And so we we are responding with this this great fiat, let it be done to me according to your word, and this great love and trust. So God always makes the first move. This first move for both of them is remarkable, quite amazing, quite miraculous, and they respond beautifully. Uh, Father Dave, let's go to the phones. We've got Francis, who is calling in from California. Francis, glad to have you here as part of the program. Thank you. Um, thank you, Father. Thank you for your priesthood. Um, I just have simple kinds of gestures of, of giving a smile to a stranger or opening mm-hmm. the door for you know anyone that I uh, encounter if I go to a convenience store in. And in the end, you know, if there's a homeless or a mentally ill person, whatever change or money that I give them, in the end, I I tell them Jesus loves them. And I guess with in any when it comes down to it, I'm just grateful and thankful for God's love and mercy. And I just want to just spread it out to the world with that smile or 
or mm-hmm. any kind gesture and not expecting anything, of course. I mean, in this world, you know, everybody has their problems and challenges, but if I can just show, eliminate my love for the world, so I just want to show that. So Thank you, Francis, and we're grateful for you, too, and I'm glad that you focused a lot on a smile. You know, we always say that hands move things, but faces move people. It's the first thing we notice. We're really highly attuned to facial expressions. Never doubt the, the, the power of a, of a smile. Uh, it sounds trivial, but it's not. Our, our brains are amazingly attuned to a face more than any other feature that we see in the world. And if there is a smiling face greeting us, that has a very, very, it's not a small effect. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, Francis. And and then finishing by saying Jesus loves you is a, is a beautiful way of, of uh, ending that encounter and probably will stay with that person for some time. So thanks for calling in. Yeah, Francis, glad to have you as part of the program. Uh, Father, one last thing maybe we can talk about here, mm-hmm. and this is another example from the life of our Blessed Mother, the wedding feast at Cana. Yeah, uh, That's another one where she helps, um, she sees a need, and I guess the couple of things I see is she sees this need. She doesn't just stand back and wait for somebody else to take care of it. She steps in and helps as soon as she sees the need. But then she also... She knows her limitations. She knows I can do this much, but then I have to hand it over to Christ. And she does. And she asks for his help at that point. Yeah, that's the last time that Mary speaks, by the way. Uh, The first time she speaks is a question, how can this be? And the last time she speaks is at Cana, and it's do whatever he tells you. And that can kind of be kind of a, a model for your day. If you ever have a question about anything, then the answer is going to be, do what Jesus says. Do what Jesus, follow his example. Whatever the question is, the answer is, you know, do what Jesus says. Uh, very, very, you know, she looks around, sees what needs to be done. A servant leader sees what needs to be done. She knows the right resource to bring to it, and the right resource to bring to that issue at the wedding feast of Cana was Jesus, and she uh, accomplishes that mission beautifully. Uh, that's also, um, you know, this perfect example where we see her interceding, and it gives yeah. us that, that um, you know, way that we can turn to her and ask for her intercession. Can you go to your son? <laughs> ask him to help me in my, my moment of need here. And it's beautiful that what the need is, is to keep the wedding party going. That's the need. The need is oh, to yeah, keep celebrating point. love, to keep celebrating this marriage. What a beautiful sign for young people today. Father Dave, about 30 seconds left. Can I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Heavenly Father, you have given us the way to lead others in the person of Jesus. We ask your blessing that we will always guide others in the right way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Dave. Always great to talk with you. Again, uh, Father Dave Heaney and his book, if you'd like to read more on this subject of uh, uh, servant leadership, it's called Luke 10 Leadership, and that's available through Ave Maria Press. want to encourage you to join us tomorrow as we'll be talking with Father Chris Walsh here on the program. And we're going to be talking about one of those seven deadly sins, wrath or anger, and how we approach that. <laughs> Is that something you struggle with in your life? Well, hopefully we'll have some answers for you tomorrow here on The Inner Life. Stay tuned. Mass is next.